You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey, well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Hey, those are our kids, the crazy kids on the video. Those were our kids. So uh, we're getting ready for camp, and we're excited to send a bunch of folks off. If you want your kid to get uh, that opportunity to go to camp, uh, we want to encourage you to sign up ASAP. If finances is a problem, we'll pay 100% of it because you guys have been generous. You provide scholarships, so we're able to do that. So let's celebrate that just for a moment. That's tons of fun to be able to say that. So if money's a problem, we'll, we'll make sure uh, that we take care of it. So we're excited about camps going on real soon, and uh, we're gearing up for that as, as well after today's service, uh, we're having baptism, so stick around. Uh, free uh, food, so that's awesome. This is the best. It's great seeing all you guys. So, so many of you that are new. My name's Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor, founding pastor of the church. Excited to be able to teach this morning a new message series that we're going to kick off. Um, after the third service, real quick, my wife and I are going to host an orphan orientation. Uh, we adopted a beautiful little girl here in the Phoenix Valley, and uh, we want to share with you about how you can be involved. You don't have to foster. You don't have to adopt to do something. You can do something, and it's going to be really cool. So grab your food after the service. No need to register. Just show up. Come on inside, and then we'll have a presentation about what's going on in Arizona. Well, hey, today what I want to do is share with you kind of a funny story and uh, to help get us started. So let me tell you a story about a, a mountain climbing experience, okay? Um, I was a river guide, a mountaineer guide, and uh, for years and years in Colorado, during my college years, and this summer, I get to take my kids up there, and we're gonna go visit Browns Canyon in Buena Vista, Colorado. Um, but if you've been in the outdoors and you've seen the mountains and the rivers, you know like bad stuff can happen. Uh, listen to this story. Four guys decided to go mountain climbing uh, one weekend. In the middle of the climb, one of the fellows slipped over the cliff, dropped about 60 feet, and landed with a thud on the ledge below. The other three were hoping to rescue him, yelled out, Joe, are you okay? And Joe responded, I'm alive, but I think my arms are broken, both arms. And they said, okay. And he said, well, toss a rope down and you can pull me up. And they say, okay, well, lay still and, and, and we'll, we'll help get you up. Joe said, okay, fine. So a couple of minutes after dropping one end of the rope, they started tugging and grunting together, working feverishly to pull their wounded companion up to safety. And when they had had him about three-fourths of the way, they kind of stopped for a moment and started to think about it. How is he doing this? Huh? Isn't both of his arms broken? They yelled out, hey, Joe, if you broke your arms, how in the world are you hanging on? And Joe responded, with my teeth. To get it? <laughs> Wasn't a true story. It was fun. You may find yourself in trouble and uh, sometimes you're going to need some help from some friends. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a case study uh, in the life of, of David. 
And uh, we're going to work through a really incredible uh, psalm, Psalm 63. If you were with me last week, I shared this psalm is so important to me. Um, I, uh, you can hear the whole story if you want to go online and listen to it. But Psalm 63 is the chapter in the Bible that I dedicated to a young man that was going through a great season of depression. Um, it was in 1997, 98, that time frame. Dedicate this, this chapter of the Bible to him. Write a note in my Bible and say, Lord, I would love to see this young man again one day if you would be so good to let me meet him. Four or five years later in another state, I see this young guy. And he says, Ryan, you have no clue. Psalm 63 changed my life. It was a cool providence of God kind of story. And so I've never taught on the chapter before, but I figured I'd teach on it today. And so I've titled today's message, Surviving the Spiritual Droughts of Life. Because uh, one thing you need to know, especially those of you who are new, I will never pretend with you. I go through hardships, I go through setbacks, I go through struggles. One of the problems is with this church is perhaps with me, I've got friends that are very far from God. Sometimes they'll come to church and they'll be like, Pastor Ryan, I love this church because you remind me just like me. And I'm like, well, hopefully a little better. And, uh, uh, but I want to connect with you to share with you the struggles that even good, solid Christians will go through. And so we're going to look at the life of David. I've labeled this message droughts, uh, surviving your spiritual drought when things are God's distance and there's no more renewing and refreshing that's going on. How many of you guys have been a Christian for like 20 years? Raise your hand. That's a long time. Okay. You probably know that there's seasons that sometimes you feel closer to God and sometimes you feel far from God. Well, I want to put you at ease. Some of the greatest Christians that ever lived went through these seasons of drought, hard times. In Arizona, we're in a drought. The reservoirs are low. The lakes are low. The rainfall wasn't that great this spring. And we call them monsoons, but I would call them nonsoons. They're not happening. They oftentimes don't happen. Uh, we're in a drought in this state. Data shows that 99% of Arizona is in a drought and has been in a drought for decades. 58% of the state right now is in the worst kind of drought you could ever imagine. Uh, last year, only 13% of the state was in this kind of extreme drought. Today, it's 58, almost 60% of the states in an extreme drought. What's that mean? We're going to have an intense fire season in this state. I got hotshot buddies that I tell them I'm praying for them. Anything your crew needs, this church will respond. Mark me, if you have any friends that are fighting fires this summer, if they need help, we should help, right? We should be the church that helps them. There's a drought going on in our state, and you, perhaps you recall the worst drought in American history was the drought called the Dust Bowl. If you're from Oklahoma, or you did your history or paid attention in class, you might remember the Dust Bowl. Uh, it was called the Dirty Thirties in 1937. The Dust Bowl was the most destructive drought in the American history that Americans ever faced. And so what I would argue is that we're in a drought of sorts in American culture, not only do we feel this in physically in Arizona, but I think spiritually and emotionally right now in America. Um, did you know that during uh, uh, COVID-19 has had a tremendous, uh, incredibly difficult impact, negative impact on the mental health of Americans? Um, prior, right, 
pre-pandemic, we say these words now, before the pandemic, uh, pre-pandemic, 8.5 U.S. adults reported of being depressed, I would say in a drought of sorts. Uh, The number rose to 27.8% of the um, American adults say they struggle with depression. So that's uh, three times depression has has, uh, registered three times the level because of COVID-19. And one thing you need to know is what's even going on with our kids and our youth is they've been hit hard too. And we typically try to say that they're resilient, that there's nothing, that, that they're fine, they're immune to it. And well, they're not immune mentally. And emotionally. Um, 91% of students in the United States uh, had an experiencing negative impact because of the school closures, the shutdowns, the lockdowns, the quarantines. And this was the first time that I ever heard it in my house. Dad, mom, I want to go to school. I'm like, let's get that on camera. And so uh, we are in a drought of sorts. And so today what I want to do is I want to highlight to you, uh, uh, introduce you to the Psalms. So uh, the Psalms is a a beautiful section in your Old Testament of your Bible. It's uh, called like the songs, if you would. It's like a song book. And uh, this is written some 3,000 years ago. And the guy who predominantly was inspired to write the Psalms was a warrior king poet. I love that combination. What a, what a unique combination. And so um, I'll tell you about the types of Psalms, and then I'll introduce you to him. We'll read the text, and then I'll give you some reasons as to why people go through spiritual droughts, and then I'll give you some remedies on how to survive your own spiritual drought. So let me talk to you about the Psalms as literature, okay? So uh, the Psalms, there's a bunch of different types of Psalms, if you would. Uh, there's the Messianic Psalms. These are psalms that I'll teach about in the coming weeks ahead that indicate and foreshadow Jesus Christ as the Messiah. 3,000 years ago, people were inspired in communicating details about the, the life, the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's in the psalms. There's messianic psalms as the Messiah. There's also this crazy idea of psalms, which I actually have a little bit of a uh, pleasure in knowing that I'm not alone, but there's a type of psalm called imprecatory psalm. So let's try to say that together, imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm is actually where you're asking for God's judgment and God's justice with evildoers or foolish, foolish people that defame and ruin the name of the Lord. The psalmist in scripture, we can find psalms where, and you're going to see an indication of that today, where the, the, Christ, the, the, not, the, the believers are, are praying and asking for God's judgment and his justice to reign. My friends that are in law enforcement probably love this because they see the corruption, they see the, the depravity of man. So there's imprecatory psalms and there's a pilgrim psalms. These are uh, songs that are sung on the, for the believers that were coming to Jerusalem and singing and declaring about how good God is and how they can't wait to get to Jerusalem. There's wisdom psalms uh, for guidelines for godly people. There's historical psalms when the, the believers are challenged to look back over life and see how God's providential and sovereign hand has been with them. And so there's these types of psalms, and then there's 
Uh, nature psalms. And I'm going to Flagstaff this week with my wife and my kiddo. We're making our maiden voyage in our camper. Never done that before. We're going to do what's called boondocking. So I'm like, I feel real comfortable doing anything with the name Boone in it because I'm from the Boone, Booneville back in Arkansas. The boondocks is what we call it. Not technically, it's called Ferndale, by the way. But uh, I'll be preaching next week on the nature psalms. And then today, what we're going to cover is kind of a combo of psalms. It's the lament psalms and the testimonial psalms. Lament psalms are crying out to God when something goes terribly wrong. You've been there before? Uh, The testimonial psalms are testifying like God's good. Even in the hardship, God's good. That's the kind of literature that we can find in the psalms. So I want to do a case study with you, uh, give you an orientation of who wrote the majority of the Psalms, and that man's name is David. He's a warrior king poet, powerful individual, imperfect, messed up, screwed up, dysfunctional in all sorts of ways, but God chose him and used him. How many of you guys remember, we're here at Mother's Day, and you recall I was teaching about uh, uh, Hannah. And she gave birth to a child after been long, many years of infertility. She gave birth to a child by the name of Samuel. You remember that? Well, Samuel, I'll tell you about him because he's going to play a part in David. And we're going to understand David. Your job today is, I don't know if I can do this, it's to put your foot in the shoes of David. And so now I got to get this back on. But you want to be in the life of David today. That's what you want to do. So let me tell you about David, but before I do, I got to tell you about Samuel. So Samuel is a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord came to Samuel and said, we need to anoint and appoint an individual by the, man, the name of Saul. So Saul is this mighty king, great king for a period of time, but he's got all sorts of mental health issues, got his own demons in his own dark closets and whatever, doesn't deal with them. And then the Lord speaks to Samuel as the prophet of God and says about Saul, he says, hey, Samuel, I regret we ever appointed him. There's going to be a new man on the scenes, and that man is is, uh, not Saul. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to Bethlehem, and you're going to find Jesse, and Jesse's going to be there with his boys. And out of those boys, there's going to be a king that I want you to anoint and appoint, but keep it a secret. And so, sure enough, uh, Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and everybody knows about it. And they're like, oh my goodness, this, I mean, this is like celebrity. Samuel shows up. He's a powerhouse, an incredible individual, heard from God. In those days, the Bible says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and Samuel came like a prophetic voice into that dark generation, and God began to work in a powerful way. So Jesse's got his boys out, and then Samuel's supposed to anoint and appoint a king, a new king. And so he looks at the boys, and they all look great. And then he says to Jesse, is there anybody else? And Jesse says, what are you, are you joking me? These are, these are my boys. These are my best. And then Samuel says, no, there's got to be somebody else. And they said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We do have this one younger brother. He's the youngest. He's uh, David. He's out in the field, but he's, just, uh, he's doing the shepherd work. And Samuel said, get him. Samuel comes. He's probably excited. He runs up. He comes in. And David, immediately, the Lord spoke to him. Uh, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, that's him. Right there, Samuel anoints and appoints David as a future king in the nation of Israel. He was a shepherd boy, but now he's about to be appointed and anointed to shepherd all of God's people. So 
What's find it interesting to me as I look through the biblical storyline is, you know what happens with dad? Dad still must be in disbelief. So he tells Samuel, or he tells, he tells David, he says, go back out into the field and shepherd. So you ever been there before? God does a great, powerful work in your life and you're excited. But then all of a sudden it's like you're put out into the season of holding and waiting. And so David there is probably frustrated and he's crying out to God. And perhaps this is where we get some of the lament psalms where he's crying out to God for help. I thought you anointed and appointed me, but I'm stuck in a field with some sheep and having to whack a wolf and to beat a bear. And that's what he had to do in the quietness. And he, meanwhile, felt like he was given this anointment and appointment, but he's still got to stand on the sidelines and watch things work. So what happened is he breaks out the musical gifts in his life and he starts making music and it's powerful and it's wonderful. And then word gets back to Saul that there's this boy that can play music and do things that is pretty incredible and vibrant and refreshing and renewing to the soul. And so he sends his, his, his helpers and says, bring that boy here because I need some help. So young David comes and he's probably told to hush, hush and don't say that he's going to be the new king. So he goes into the king's court. He makes music ministry happen. Saul loves him. And then he goes back out into the field. David goes back out into the field to do his work and a war breaks out. And then there's a, there's a Goliath in Gath. And David thinks, man, I'm not only just a, a poet, but I feel that God's, God's calling on my life to be a warrior. So the rest of his brothers and everybody else is out trying to, on a standstill, they won't cross the enemy line, they won't take the, the giant down. And then David says, you know what, I brought your lunch today, but I'm going to do more than bring your lunch. I'm going to slay that giant. And so he does. And so he slays that giant, and he becomes popular. He becomes so popular that tens of thousands of people, his name and fame start spreading all throughout Israel, this powerful warrior. And so Saul gets jealous, and Saul tries to kill David. He uh, hates him now. He loved him. Now he hates him. And then the storyline goes where Saul disappears from the pages of Scripture. He passes on, and then David becomes king. At 30 years old, David took, a, took the role of a king and he ruled in the most prosperous, wonderful times in the nation of Israel. He reigned for a period of 40 years, but it wasn't without trouble. It wasn't without his own spiritual droughts and his hardship. Uh, how many of you would say you, really, you have kids and you love your kids tremendously? Raise your hand. How many of you would die for your kids? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's the kind of covenantal love I, I share with my kids all the time. Hey, I love you. I'd give my whole life for you. David loved his kids too. But he had one boy by the name of Absalom. And Absalom saw the, the weird, twisted side of dad and the dysfunctional side of dad. And Absalom fell into this kind of a self-focused ambition. And he basically said, I can do this better than you, dad. I want to take over the kingdom. So he formed a little pocket of gossip. And he formed a little insurrection. And so what ends up happening is this little pocket of gossip got so big that word comes back to David and they say, Absalom has got an army of individuals that are about to take you out. And David goes into running and hiding. But do you know who he's hiding from? He's hiding from his boy. Can you imagine the pain? Okay, when your kid goes through hardship, when your kid goes through a really hard, difficult time, 
That hurts us. Nothing hurts us probably more as parents than seeing our kids go through difficult, dark times. But imagine it's so bad that your boy wants to take your life. And so that's where we pick up in the storyline of Scripture today is you got David, who, by the way, has been overlooked, undervalued, unloved, unwanted, and now deeply betrayed by his own son. So he's in hiding. He's running for his life. Here we go. Psalms chapter uh, 63, we'll just read the whole thing, and then I'll give you some reasons why I think you and I experience spiritual droughts in our life and some remedies on how to overcome them. The psalmist David says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land uh, where there is no water. Just a side note real quick. I think what happens in the life of a believer over time is that God rewires the desire and all of a sudden there's a thirst for God. I didn't always have a thirst for God. I didn't have a thirst to go to church, didn't have a thirst to read the Bible, didn't have a thirst to pray. But when God's at work, God's at work. David, in the darkest days of his time, now he's saying, my soul thirsts for you. He would have known what thirst is physically, but he feels a thirst in his soul. His heart is broken. His boys betrayed him, and he's on the run. Verse 2, so I've looked up upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He's talking about the days when he could go freely worship without being uh, run out of his own place, in his own home, in his own town. He was looking forward to worship. Verse 3, he says, because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live in your name. I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon the, my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. Isn't that good? And in the shadows of your wings, I'll, I'll sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those, this is the imprecatory part. He says, uh, but those who seek to destroy my life and shall go down into the depths of the earth and they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. Verse 11, he says, but the king, that is him, David, King David, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars be stopped. There's a number of reasons why I think believers go through spiritual droughts. The first is this, is there's unprecedented or unusual hard seasons of life. Maybe you're in that now. You're, you're in a really difficult season. You've lost a loved one. You've, you've experienced the pain of the pandemic. When an unusual or hard season of life comes what you need to realize is that God's still present in the midst of the pain. That no matter what you're going through, God is still there. And it is okay for you to say, this is an incredibly difficult season in my life. David had that. David had a really strong, dysfunctional family life that kind of just turned on him. And probably nothing hurts us more than the people that love, that supposed to love us turn on us. The hardest pain I feel as a pastor is with loved ones. Congreg 
folks in the congregation or in my own family when there's pain and there's hardship with my own family or in the church family, right? This unusual hard season of life can really kind of, kind of take your joy away a little bit. But David somehow managed through it. So this could be a reason for your gnawing feeling of, man, I feel like I'm just dry in my life. Another one is an unhealthy focus on self. I see this a lot when people go through pain and they're really struggling and going through a hardship. And, or they're just in a funky season where all they think about is themselves. And that's just not a healthy spot to be. I mean, the Bible tells us our focus our last should be ourselves. The greatest commandments in all the scripture, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's focus on God. Love your neighbor. That's focus on your neighbor. And then as your, help me out, yourself. And so when you have an unhealthy focus on self, say you're going through a problem or a hardship, then you tend to just focus on that problem and that hardship. Focus on how you're hurt. Focus on how you're frustrated. And you can't really get through it very well. Additionally, there's just kind of this unconfessed heart of sin that can be a reason why you're going through a spiritual drought. When, you, when you've got some, some issues that are going on in your life, sin is heavy, man. Um, and, and when you give your sin to Jesus Christ, your heart begins to feel lighter. Doesn't mean you're not going to go through hardship. I think a lot of times in life, it feels like we're carrying a big, heavy backpack. And it's loaded down because there's trouble in the world, hardship and all that. But guess what happens when we continually sin, habitually, continually, persistently? It's like we're loading rocks in that backpack. We're doing it to ourselves. I think the hardest thing that I see as a pastor is when folks just, they literally, it's like, a, it's like a war path for destruction. And I tell them like, this is not going to be a good road. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be hard. You don't have to do this to yourself. Unconfessed sin, I like to say, it's like taking out the trash at my house. I tell my kids, you got to take out the trash. The house is starting to stink. And so they do. They open up the, the kitchen trash sack and they walk around with that thing and it's all nasty. It drips all over the house. And you're like, oh, come on. Now you got to mop the floor. You got to clean that up. You know, and then they take out the trash and they finally get it to the dumpster and they put it outside. Well, good. Our house is clean again. Might have to wipe up a few little spots. But here's what happens in the Christian life. Say you got a bunch of sin going on in your life. You know sin is anything, you should know, is anything that is against God's will and against God's ways. And when you sin continually and your heart is piled up with sin, then what happens is, is like you're just trashing out your heart. You're trashing out your life. And there's a stench to it. And so how do you get rid of it? You do this thing called repentance. The Bible talks about turning from your sin and then turning towards your Savior. And when you turn towards your Savior, guess what the Bible says? You get refreshed. His burden is light. He can take it. You know what? The, in the book of Acts, I love it, uh, the, the apostle Peter, passionate Peter, uh, he tells uh, the church, he says, repent, for then when you repent and turn from your sins, listen to this, a season of refreshing will come. But so many times we want refreshing, but we forget that there might need to be some repentance. See, I need a breakthrough from time to time, and I need my own heart to be refreshed. And so I, I ought to, at times, just kind of rethink, man, 
Maybe there's some areas in my life I need to confess. So I'll confess most oftentimes to my wife, I'm really sorry for this, and I don't mean to do that. And then when there's reconciliation, right? Isn't there oftentimes refreshment back in the relationship? So there could be some unconfessed sin in your own life. And then lastly, I want to point this out, is that there can be an uncared for body and soul. You are responsible for you. Um, At our staff, uh, we have three trusts that we encourage all of our staff members to do, to take care of, and I trust them to do this. That they're going to professionally, I trust them, they're going to professionally do a good job to the best of their ability in their area of of, uh, ministry expertise. Secondly, I ask that they relationally, I trust them relationally, that they're going to handle relationships correctly. And that when there's a problem, they're going to make sure that they remedy that problem uh, and try to mitigate gossip and anything that's going on relationally. And then third is a spiritual trust. I trust that they're going to take care of themselves. They can't look to me to meet every spiritual need. You need to take care of yourself because guess what? When you wake up in the morning, guess who's there? Yourself. Then you say, well, I need a break. I'm going on vacation and great. But guess who's there on vacation? Yourself. And then you get sick of yourself and then you look in the mirror and guess who's there? Yourself. And, and then you come back and you go to work and then there's yourself. Yourself, yourself, yourself. You're always there. And so God's plan is, that was a Drake drop right there. Uh, God's plan is that you literally know how to take care of yourself. And that you love yourself like God loves you. And you take care of your body because your body is connected to your soul. It's together in a sense. Well, the body is the material being. The soul is immaterial. And the soul lives on forever. But you know and I know if you're physically feeling terrible, it does have a fatigue on your soul oftentimes. So I want to challenge you. Take care of yourself The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. I think one of the reasons why we can be going through a drought of sorts in the the Christian life is we haven't done self-care. So how do you survive these spiritual droughts? I would say, number one, be persuaded that God's plan is good. Be persuaded that God's plans are always better than our plans. So David had to believe this. How else does he say, Lord, I will praise you all the days of my life despite my son turning on me, despite being overlooked by my father, despite the animosity between my brothers, despite the people that have betrayed me in my own army and my closest connections in the king's court. I'll trust you and I'll sing for joy that you're good no matter what. You need to make a deliberate determination that in life, that God's plan is still good. Even when bad things happen, God's plan is still good over your life. The Bible promises in Romans 8.28 that God will use all things together for the good for those who love Christ Jesus. God's plan is good. Even with the hardship, his plans are still good. Number two, I would say be filled with God's word. David had a a sense of a, 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 a scripture reference in his mind. Uh, He was saturated with truth. And I think uh, when we experience the pressures of life like a sponge, I wonder what comes out of us. If we're saturated with God's spirit and the scripture, then this is what will come out of us. 
love, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But if we are filled up, absorbed with the words of the world or, your, or the words of, of, of the enemy, then love doesn't come out of us. Hate comes out of us. Peace doesn't come out of us. Anxiety comes out of us. You see, so you need to have such a saturation be filled with God's word. This is what gets the cancer patient who's dying on their deathbed peace because they know the eternal truths of scripture that to be absent from the body is to help me out, to be present with the Lord. Be filled with God's truth in your life. I can think of different times when I felt alone and in a drought of sorts and I'm sitting on the front porch like an old school country guy with my wife on a rocking chair we bought from Cracker Barrel. And we open up our Bibles and it's exactly what I needed to hear. It's exactly. It's like somebody planned it. Wait a second, somebody did plan it. The Lord planned it. So if you want to Get out of your spiritual drought. You better be filled up with God's word because right in the moment, most of the powerful ministry moments I've ever experienced happens in the moment. And it's a word that I can say with authority and confidence to give them encouragement and peace because it's God's word. See, that's powerful when you can do that. You can get out of your drought by learning and looking to God's word. Thirdly, I would just say resolve to pursue God's presence in people. Both of those are so important. I just downloaded a new worship album. I'm excited to listen to worship. I, I listen to all sorts of secular music, rap music, country music. You name it, I listen to all sorts. But I'll tell you this. If I'm in a drought sometimes, I have to look back and go, what am I filling my mind with? And when I'm filling my mind with worship music, it's praise and I find power and I found, find God's presence in it in a very unique way. And when I come to church, even me, when I come to church on Sundays, I feel God's presence and power a little bit more in my life. That's exactly what David was saying. He's like, I can't wait to get back to the sanctuary and be with people. So, ladies and gentlemen, you have a great responsibility. I hope that you're encouraged because everybody's going to go through a drought. We're all, we all go through droughts. But we can find the reason that sure helps us to understand why are we in this drought, and then second, we can find the remedy. There is remedy. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I do pray for everybody in a drought. Maybe it's an unusually hard season of life, and it feels like things are just breaking down all around us. Lord, I pray that we would counter that pain with your promise. And be persuaded that God's plan is still good. I think of David, Lord, who was exiled out to the field to be a shepherd. And the pain that he went through with the isolation you used for connection and inspired music that would go down for eternity in the storyline of scriptures for praise. I thank you, God, that you used him as a shepherd so he would learn to shepherd people. Thank you that you used him to be a warrior to protect them those sheep from the wolves and the bears because he learned how to defeat a giant. And may that be encouragement to us that God can use anything and will absolutely use everything to help us to know him 
and to make his love known to the world around us. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, it's been awesome uh, jumping into the Psalms. Don't miss this, the Sundays coming up. Next week, I'm going to be teaching on the nature uh, Psalms. So that'll be fun to be able to do that. We have a wonderful state with lots of great outdoor activity and a lot to look at in the diverse uh, state of Arizona. But before I leave the stage, I just want to point out um, a couple of things as I want to say thank you for all of you who are giving. Because you give, we can send kids to camp with no cost. Uh, because you give, we actually have been able to bring fresh and clean water, very fitting for today's message, uh, to families in Mexico and to stop the drought and get them clean water because of your giving. That's happened time and time again. We've been able to do that. When we build houses, despite the pandemic, we're able to give families fresh water. And we're even this summer, we're planning on sending a team to the Navajo Nation, where perhaps nowhere else in the United States has any population of people been hit harder with the pandemic than the Navajo Nation. And so we're going to bring fresh water to that church. Here's why. Because you guys give financially. So we're able to do that. So I want to thank you for all of you that do that. And uh, as well, last but not least, I want to share with you a, a great update. We've got a, a brand new staff member we're excited about, uh, Stephen and his wife, KJ. They joined our team. We had a staff dinner right out here on Friday night and had a blast. And so this happens because of your generosity. We've got a good team. So can we celebrate just for a moment that? And I would say, if you have not yet partnered with us in giving, you can. There's four ways in which you can give here at the church. Um, folks I meet all the time, they're like, you didn't tell us how to give, so I'm telling you now. There's a giving box. You can give online. You can text. There's a number of ways you can do that. And for those of you that are brand new, don't give anything. We actually have a gift for you that we'd like to send you home with at the Connection Corner. So make sure that you stop by and visit us over there. Well, hey, it's been awesome. I'm going to turn it over to Joshua and we'll close out in our worship. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.